This is episode 218 of the Beyond the Food Show, and today we're going to explore a form of discrimination most of us have either been victim of or have acted out. And we honestly thought it was normal. Any idea what I'm referring to? It's weight discrimination. And for this very important episode, I've seeked the help of an expert in weight stigma, Kimmy Singh, registered dietitian, and she is going to school us. You ready? Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going to Beyond the Food Show. I'm Stephanie Dozier, clinical nutritionist and emotional eating expert, creator of the Going to Beyond the Food method and founder of the Going to Beyond the Food Academy corporate executive turned health expert with my own journey with weight, body image, and food, it's now my mission to help smart, successful women like you live confidently right now and unconditionally. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Sisters, welcome back. This is part four of the weight loss series. And a reminder on the intention of this series is to help all of us women who are starting our journey of intuitive eating and body neutrality, but that are in this denial period, because thin ideals have been ingrained in our brains for years and years and years. And we are in that phase of our journey where we are should I lose weight? Should I not lose weight? There has to be a way of losing weight that is successful. It's just something that I'm not doing right. And then the next day you're going back to intuitive eating and you're in that phase. And it's a grieving period. And I'm going to do an episode on that next in show 219. But the intention of the weight loss series is to present you with factual information around weight loss approach to help you reprogram your subconscious mind around your belief with weight loss. In part one, we had an expert in the whole question, but I need to lose weight. There's a medical reason why I need to lose weight. Aaron Flores taught us about this desire that we have to lose weight and where does it come from. Show 214, we had Chris Sandel teaching us all about set point. There's a very heavy science-driven episode, so I would highly recommend you listen to this one perhaps in two segments. Show 216 was with Alyssa Rumsey, uh, registered dietitian, and we answered the question, are you overweight? And we talked about the BMI story and other measure for you to take in regards to measuring your health. And today is all about weight stigma, weight biases, weight discrimination. These are all the same meaning, just different words. And Kimmy Singh is an expert in that topic. Kimmy is a registered dietitian and a fat registered dietitian. She uses that term herself, and we'll get into that during the episode as to why she chose that term. And she presents and consult on weight stigma in her field of study. And she also practiced privately following the health at every size principle with client with body image, eating disorder or disordered eating relationship issue. So in this episode, we are going to cover what is weight stigma, weight bias, obesity bias, weight discrimination as well. We're going to talk about 
Very important, the difference between internalize and externalize weight stigma, the relationship between stress and our weight and how to cope with weight stigma and how to reduce weight stigma. Ready for this, sister? Let's do this. Hey, Kimmy, how are you? Hi, Stephanie. I'm doing well. How about you? Very good. And I'm very excited to have you on the show today to talk about the topic of weight stigma, which, believe it or not, in 210 so episodes, we've not yet explored. Mm-hmm. So much to explore. <laughs> and so much impact. So we're going to get started with the very basic question, what the heck is weight stigma? Yes. Well, great question. I see different definitions when I look through the research. And so, yeah, the way I like to explain it is it's the societal disapproval of existing in a body perceived to have too much fat. And so this can really change when you kind of grow across cultures, some body sizes might be more acceptable. And then also just subcultures like within different regions of the United States or different parts of the world. And there's this shame and disappointment and kind of this like moral discrediting put on those who are thought to be in this body that they falsely attribute to just like overindulgence and these other negative connotations. Yeah. Now, when I was doing research for this podcast, I realized that there's synonym of weight stigma, like weight bias, obesity bias, weight discrimination. Can we say that weight stigma is all of those definitions as well, or each one of them have different usage and intention? Yeah, great question. So I see them used interchangeably oftentimes, but I think that some of the technicalities I've seen explained is that weight bias is when it affects your decision-making. And so if you're, let's see, if you're giving a recommendation for what somebody should eat and you're kind of going on it based on their size, that could be like that bias coming in. Fair, which is true. And we'll talk about that, how weight stigma, aka weight bias, is present in many aspects of our life, which we, for most of us, don't even recognize until it's actually pointed out to us, right? Exactly. And that's when I explain implicit versus explicit weight stigma. Can you do that? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times people will feel like, you know, I don't have a problem with people of size. Like, I don't have any issue there. And so those are the folks that I would say are struggling with implicit weight stigma. Like it's still going on. You've still been exposed to those messages around bodies, but you don't necessarily realize how much it's affecting you. And so with explicit weight stigma, it's more of that overt. I know I don't like fat people or the, you know, just they know they have this understanding of like the way they perceive large bodies. But then with implicit, I think it can be really harmful because it tells people like, I don't need to learn more about that because I don't struggle with weight stigma. And, that and, makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's a great explanation. And in my head, when I'm looking at explaining that to my listener, potentially a great example of that is health equal thin body, mm-hmm. right? That is in so many of us, it's, we're born thinking that and we're thinking, well, I'm not discriminatory on weight yet. If I want to be healthy, I have to be in a smaller body. Could that yeah. be an example of it? Yeah, I think that that like having that association is a, definitely a manifestation of all of it coming to life. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned internalize and externalize weight stigma. 
I like to call it externalized and experienced weight okay, stigma. Go for it. Go for it. And so, yeah, so internalized weight stigma is that feeling of like, oh, I feel fat. It's very self-directed. It's from yourself to yourself. And an example I like to use is that people oftentimes have the experience of feeling fat in the gym, regardless of their body size. They're just feeling a bit inadequate, whatever it is, it's, but it's towards themselves. And so that's internalized weight stigma. So experience weight stigma is when you are actually receiving those negative experiences and circumstances and actions based on your size. So an example of that would be if you're in the gym, regardless of how you're feeling towards yourself, you're receiving somebody making a comment to you about your body size. And so that's experience weight stigma. So internalized weight stigma can occur in people of all sizes. Experience weight stigma tends to occur in those who are in larger bodies. That's interesting because internalized weight stigma is what you think about yourself. Yeah. And so that can also like people whose body changes, like who might have one time been in a larger body. Now they're not. Like they could very well still struggle with that. Which is exactly what happened to me through my various weight and dieting stages. And I can say that, and I was looking back recently on pictures I was, I think, 100 pounds lighter than I am today. And I remember vividly that day of that picture having the worst body image day because I had one tiny little roll on my stomach that was showing. It was more intense yeah. today then than it is today. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so body size doesn't always equate to how you're going to feel about your body, but it can change the way society may feel about your body. Absolutely. Yeah. Which one, is there one of the two externalized or experience, how did you call them again? Experience. experience. I know it's so confusing. If it was externalized, it would make so much more sense. But yeah. Is there one that's more potent than the other? Oh, gosh. I think of experience as more systemic and... I also think that internalized, it can be easy to sort of brush under the rug. Like when we're talking about fat politics and body politics, I myself, even when I think of the systemic oppression against people in larger bodies, I have to remind myself, you know, people of all sizes definitely like experience feeling uncomfortable in their body. And for them, it is very real, no matter what, like if you're that person is not feeling good in their body in the gym, it doesn't matter how many people tell them otherwise, that feeling is not going to go anywhere. Yes. So I don't know. It's hard to say one's more potent, but I feel like I'm so, like I'm so scared to put a hierarchy on one Not because sure. I think it minimizes <laughs> the other. Yeah, but I'm going to be thinking about that. That's a re really, really good reflection point. Well, I think it's how much you've experienced of it, right? And I'm going to throw something out there. Personal experience. I'm somebody that have always been in a taller and bigger body than the average woman. Like I'm six foot tall and typically over 200 pounds, like in a big body. Yet, I think the worst time in my life where I experienced weight stigma was when I was a, like a bullied in high school. But since I've like assumed myself and taken my own power, I have not been, quote, the victim of weight stigma, if that's a thing to say, and I want to make sure I'm politically correct, but I've not been the victim of it as much. So perhaps for me, it's not as experience. Could that be mm -hmm. an analogy? 
Gotcha. Yeah. And there are so many things that come up for me. Like I think high school, just in terms of, you know, body image stuff, the way bodies are discussed, it can be such a violent place. So violent. And I even think of now, like I'm post dietetics training. And so now I'm kind of in my world of doing what I believe and practicing in a way that I believe. And I'm not surrounded by those messages around, you know, about what body should look like. And yeah, the setting, I wonder how much of that like is your growth and also the environment. And it sounds like there's so much there. There's a lot. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I know from my clients and my listener that there is a number of people that experience Mm -hmm. weight stigma in their workplace. And we'll get to healthcare very shortly. And my next question will be about that. But weight biases in workplaces are very frequent, Mm -hmm. specifically for women. Yeah. And it's legal. Like in, I know in America, it's legal everywhere except for Michigan and San Francisco. So you can legally discriminate against people because of their weight. What? Yeah. So like if I apply for a job yeah. and they decide, yeah, I don't want a fat dietitian, they can say, yeah, great interview, but I don't want to hire someone that's fat. And it would be completely legal unless I'm in Michigan or San Francisco. I had no idea. Yeah. Really? So it's not okay to discriminate based on sex, no longer, right? But it's okay to discriminate based on weight. Yeah. Wow. Not and a what lot is, of people what know message that. Does, yeah, no. And, and what message does it send to people in larger bodies that you're not allowed to participate in society unless you shrink your body? Like it sends so many subtle messages. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need fat activism. And I want you to talk about that because I think this is something you describe yourself as doing as well, part of your work. And again, something that we're not very familiar here in the podcast, but what the heck is fat activism? How does it link to weight stigma? Yeah. Oh gosh. So first I'll say like when I use the word fat, I use it in a neutral way. It's not in a way to talk negatively around larger bodies. But so I think of fat activism as creating space for fat bodies in society. And so weight stigma, I see it like as Deborah Gard once explained it to me, is it, weight stigma is not a real thing. It's a manifestation of the messages we have going on, of the way we see bodies, of oppressive systems. And so weight stigma is that harm coming to life. And so fat activism, I feel like, is the opposing force trying to turn down that weight stigma and trying to turn the tables here. And to advance our legislation that allows discrimination against body size. Exactly. Right? Without fat activists, these laws will continue to be and exist and allowed to be used. Yes, exactly. And so when I think of just feeling liberated in bodies, you know, regardless of someone's size, it's I don't think it's possible unless we're having these discussions around why people are scared of being fat. When we're discussing fear of fatness, like there is a very real fear of like nobody wants to be discriminated against legally. Nobody wants to experience medical weight stigma. So bringing fat activism to discussions with clients is so important to me because those fears are real. It's not just in their head. Society validates all of them. Yeah. And legalize them in some way by not changing the regulation around weight discrimination. Exactly. Wow, that was that was a big surprise. Okay, so 
obviously we are allowed to do weight discrimination in workplaces in most states, but how does weight stigma next show up in healthcare? Because I think that's a big thing. And I, I did an interview with Aaron Flores in relation to this podcast. I did it this morning, but I don't know when it's going to get published. <laughs> but anyway, he was answering the question, but I need to lose weight, right? Because that's mm-hmm. one of the primary questions we get from clients and patients in clinic and in programs. And we slightly explored this whole concept of weight stigma in healthcare, but it's extremely present. Can you speak to that? Yeah, very much so. I think one of the statistics I've seen is that it's almost 70% of people in larger bodies have experienced weight stigma or they have fear of experiencing it from their physicians. And so the reality is, is that research has done a great job of shedding light on this. I think that's kind of where the biggest mainstream concern is. Like they might not care about fat activism, but if it's for the health of fat people, then there's more interest. And so research shows that physicians, nurses, psychologists, dietitians, and students trained to be healthcare professionals, they all have weight stigma that they deal with. But then there's also this piece where research has shown that physicians spend less time with fat patients. They also report feeling less enjoyment and feeling more annoyed when they're working with fat patients. And they overly attribute problems to being fat. So they might not do follow-up tests on something because they assume, oh, if you lose weight, it'll all be better. (laughs) And then there's also this piece of providing less patient-centered care. So hearing the patient less, it's really a different experience. And so that's kind of what's been proven in the research. But then when I think of qualitatively, like as I've done talks and presentations, People have shared their experiences of being misdiagnosed or of of having ailments like completely overlooked that could have been found out with a simple test. And doctors will just blame things on weight. Or then people will oftentimes have poor relationships with providers. They might be avoiding to go see their doctor because they don't want to get shamed about their body. So when we're considering health and weight, we have to also consider, are we taking this into account as to how this affects people's health? And I don't think we do in most cases. Yeah. What's mm-hmm. the driver of weight bias among healthcare provider? Like where the heck does it come from for them to then discriminate in their practice? Yeah. Well, there are a couple of pieces. There's one piece of like public policy and sort of the way we understand health and the way research has been done in a way that's not inclusive And that's not considering body diversity and research, just not recognizing like healthcare avoidance and other things that affect why fat people, their health outcomes may be different in those settings. So there's that piece and that piece is very present in their training, even in dietetics training, unfortunately. Have you experienced that in the last four years of your training? For sure. For sure. That must Um, have been awkward. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> and I also found that certain professors were more open, open to learning. And slowly but surely, I think is going to change. But it's very real; it definitely is, and it makes it harder for there to be fat healthcare providers. So there is this like large public policy piece, and then on top of that, you have their own personal stuff that they bring to the table. Everybody has a story about their body. Everybody knows what it feels like to not feel great in their body. And so when you have professionals that have so much unprocessed trauma around their size or around food, it also plays a big role in the way they give healthcare recommendations. 
Can we explore a bit? So I've been taking a lot of classes and been mentored by a lot of trauma experts. And I'm personally starting to connect trauma around weight, right? So the experience of being discriminated or having lived through internalized weight stigma creates a trauma on the body. And in my view, in my practice, almost to the same level as sexual abuse in some cases. Are you Mm -hmm. seeing that? And do you have any research or information around that or a different perspective? Yeah, well, I definitely... There's so much pain caused by weight stigma for a lot of reasons. One is that people don't even have the language to describe it. They kind of feel stuck in their bodies and feel like they need to get out of their bodies and they're always feeling wrong. So there's not really exposure to fat liberation and it really affects people's whole identity and the trauma of living in a marginalized body day to day, like dealing with that discrimination, whether it's in the workplace from a family member, from a healthcare provider, that's constant stress. And so there is research showing that that stress can cause like really terrible effects on health overall. So living with the stress related to oppression. And then I also think that just like trying to learn more, like if you get the chance to learn that there's another way to discuss bodies, it's hard because you have your community and you have this great room for growth, but the world is still not there. Hmm. So it's like you can kind of open your eyes, but it can still feel really lonely, especially if you live physically in a place where you don't feel that support. That's why community is so important in association as you change your own mind and your own belief with people of like mindset or like own belief. Otherwise, you'll feel alone in your own world. Exactly. Exactly. So trauma plays a huge piece or creates or weight stigma creates trauma. And I just want to one experience came. I'm a very intuitive person. So one experience came into my mind as you were sharing that. For people who still don't grasp the concept of trauma, let me give you an example of that. That's in myself and in my body. I remember vividly the age of probably 11 years old being at a party, a family party around a pool. And one of my uncle pointing at my body and making comment about my breast and my belly at the time I was 11 years old. That's mm-hmm. a trauma. It's still in my brain. I have the physical image in my my being of this event. Mm -hmm. That's what we consider a trauma. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it robs you of so much at that age, you know, just like thinking back to yourself at that age, when you first had that experience of knowing that your body wasn't the norm or wasn't what's acceptable, it really shatters so much of your identity. Absolutely. And then as women, in a non-conforming body, non-tin body, we continue to have experience like this, that we think, oh, we'll just work through them. It's okay. It's not important. We're denying recognizing the impact of all those oh, little yeah. moments on ourselves. And we're like, we're t- sort of told to walk this line of, oh, you need to care about your appearance, but don't be obsessed with it. And that that line ends up manifesting into diets and just hating your body and not feeling enough as who you are. And then also like avoiding aging, all of that too. Well, ageism, I think is the term, right? 
it's a parallel line with body shape or body weight or weight bias, right? Not accepting yourself through aging or through body weight means denying who you are as a person. Yeah. And it's also denying who you are in that present moment. Yes. Why should you have to be obsessed with this body you had 20 years ago? You know, the only body you have is the one that's on you right now. Yes, absolutely. Quick question for you. Do I'm assuming you integrate in your practice body image healing. Do you encourage clients, patients with body neutrality, body positivity? Like how do you approach healing that part of their journey? Yeah. Well, I try to meet them where they are. So for some folks, body neutrality feels like the most easy step and feels like the safest place to be. For some, there's more of a body respect of like, I don't feel neutral about my body, but I'm stuck with it. I try, I use the comparison of it's, it's like a roommate you don't love. You're stuck with this roommate. You just have to make the best out of it. <laughs> and that can be a first step. And I try to tell them, you know, it would be great if you get to a place of body love and body acceptance. But if you don't, there's no judgment. There's no judgment for trying to feel like you're doing this wrong or you're doing activism, body positivity wrong. It's really where you are in that moment. And trying to move one step forward towards feeling better. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like, just like, I don't want people to compare their bodies or anything else. Their relationship with their body is very unique. It's influenced by so many things. <laughs> I, I think that's a brilliant analogy, right? We don't want to compare the body size. We don't want to compare our healing neither. Exactly. It's exactly. different for each one of us. Yeah. Okay, let's geek out a little bit on research, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. There's more and more research on weight bias coming out, right, than it's ever been. Because oh, yeah. how long ago has it been that we recognize weight discrimination as a health issue? How long has it been? Oh, gosh. I don't know the exact year, but I know that a lot of the research that I've seen, it's throughout... Gosh, I think it's like the 2010s. Like it's not the early 2000s. It's later. So it's really, it hasn't been a very long time. And if you kind of, so I'm such a nerd. If you, if you look you back at the history of science as a whole, like, oh my gosh, we've grown so much in the last like couple hundred years, just in terms of how we understand our bodies and germs and all of these very basic one-on-one things. And so the fact that weight stigma, discrimination, all of that is so new, there's so much that we don't know. It blows my mind. Like, what are we yet to find out? Mm -hmm. Well, I was comparing on the, on, I think it was on social media last week that I was asking the followers to think about what will we say about dieting 50 years from now? Mm -hmm. Because I had just come across an image from another account of a doctor smoking on an advertisement, like promoting Camel cigarettes. Yeah. In 1950, I think. And now mm -hmm. 60 years later, like that would never occur to anyone to do that. What will we'll say yeah. about dieting 50 years from now? Exactly. And I, I feel like in the 90s, just like the history of so fat activism and stuff like the 90s is where so many healthcare providers started to speak up against diets. But I feel like in the 2000s is when it got more mainstream, like not early 2000s, like 2010s around there. Yeah, so we just have so far to go. <laughs> it's but now, exciting. Now we're at a point where we can say that weight stigma creates or activates certain health issue. 
Can we say that? Or what is research telling us the correlation between the two? Oh, gosh, good question. So, I mean, I know that I've seen theories and mechanism between like weight stigma affecting like cortisol responses, but I've seen different research talking about stress from oppression, like maybe more so related to race or other forms of oppression, how it affects health and health outcomes. So there are some things we know, but there are so many unknowns. So there are theories, but yeah, I would really love to kind of pick apart like how much healthcare avoidance plays a role in health outcomes and people of size. And also like misdiagnoses, there are so many unanswered questions. So because we are at the beginning of research, we have correlation, but we don't have causation just yet. Yeah, not that I've seen, but I, I think that we're at this place where research is showing that this is real. And so Fat people have been saying it's real, like, since the 60s. (laughs) But now we have research showing that it's real. So hopefully that can help researchers get more funding and then sort of get in the nitty-gritty. Well, I saw Evelyn Triboli posting recently a study where... It was a small study, but showing that body dissatisfaction had an incidence on higher cortisol distress hormone in the body. Yeah. Which is what weight stigma does. It increases the stress in the body. Mm -hmm. It does. It does. And I think like when we're measuring weight stigma, one of the studies that comes to mind is it's weight stigma in a situation where you're in a shopping store. And so it's these incidences of weight stigma, but there are studies that are being designed by people that are thin. So it's not really grabbing the whole picture yet. And as we do get more fat providers and fat researchers, I'm hoping that'll change. Yeah, I read a headline recently, and I'd like to have you talk on that. It says, how and why weight stigma drives the, quote, obesity epidemic, unquote. Can you tell mm-hmm. us your opinion first on what is the heck is the obesity epidemic, and is it driven by weight stigma? Yeah, so I understand the obesity epidemic to be something that was like, gosh, like, it's It was named, I think, in the 80s, and it's, yeah, it is what it is. Like, it's the thought that fat body shouldn't exist, and the body diversity shouldn't exist, and that fat bodies are all the bad things. And so I haven't read that article. Judging by the headline, it sounds like they are trying to put a link between weight stigma as to, like, causing fatness. And I guess for me, I do think, like, body diversity is a real thing. So I'm less concerned with is weight stigma causing people to be fat. And I'm so much more concerned with like all the harms we know that weight stigma does cause and around quality of life and around the way healthcare is experienced and like legal discrimination. So I feel like those are the bad things like fat bodies. Like that's not the bad thing. Those are bodies. That is a very interesting angle because when you look at it from that lens where you don't attach a judgment to fat body, then the obesity epidemic is neutral in itself. Yeah, gosh, it's a lot. It's really a lot. So when we look at facts, so we clearly can see that there is an impact on the body, on discrimination, internalized, externalized experience. How does a person, a woman, start confronting weight stigma and I don't know, neutralizing it or like make her life better from weight stigma. Yeah. 
First, I would say don't do it alone. If you can find community, whether it's online or in person, or even if it's just a therapist or dietitian or health coach who can practice from a fat positive lens, that's great. Like making sure that you're not just in your head about it because the messages you heard around your body, like you said, like there is trauma. And so you need space for that. So I'd also recommend like doing some reflections around what are some of the early earliest messages you've heard around your bodies and also why is your body kind of being blamed for everything? What I see is that when people are new to this, it's really hard to stop blaming their bodies for things that are unhappy, for things that might feel like it's going wrong. And maybe it would even be helpful to journal and say like, how would my life be different if I was thin? And then sort of reflect on like how much of that you can actually do now in your fat body. Mm -hmm. And you would be surprised as to like how capable you are as is without making those changes. Absolutely. Okay. And it's, it's very interesting because when you find, and I find this is where I want to make the link between intuitive eating and weight stigma. And I, I'm not sure if you've observed that in your client population, but when we we take somebody from the chronic dieting world, we teach them about intuitive eating and they start embracing it in their life. One of the components we teach them is to turn within, right, for eating cues and for their food decision. And then what I'm observing is that it starts spreading through their whole life within weeks Absolutely. and months. And they're like, wow, I have a body and I have the answer within me. Exactly. Exactly. And your fatness doesn't disqualify you from having that sense of intuition. Like it's still there right now in this moment. It's there. Right. You have all the wisdom that you need to have to know everything you need to do in life. Mm -hmm. And then that power and it's, and I'll come back, that power start extending to your body image. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even just like through the research and through my work, I found that the providers who are kind of pushing weight stigma on others, like they don't trust fat patients and they say like, you can't be trusted with your health and your well-being, all these things. And so people start to internalize that and they start to discount their sense of intuition. And so when you get more in touch with intuitive eating and finding support, you really start to channel into your inner wisdom And that's so transformative. And that's when you find your power to have a different conversation with your healthcare provider, for an example. Exactly. Yeah. So can you coach us on how to have that discussion with a healthcare provider that perhaps is saying high blood pressure or diabetes, right? The Mm -hmm. two typical most chronic conditions present in our population. The answer is weight loss. What is one to say back to their doctor? Yeah. So first I'd say if you have a provider that can advocate for you, like I know sometimes I'd advocate for fat clients, but also other dietitians or therapists might be able to do the same. Also, it might be helpful if you go along with somebody else who can help you advocate. So you're not feeling so alone. And even if this doctor is not necessarily going to be fat positive, I would hope that they can still respect your body autonomy and say like, you know, I've tried dieting before. It actually ultimately resulted in me not feeling great. And it might even result in me gaining weight. And I don't, I don't think that weight gain is something to be pathologized, but the doctor might not want to recommend it if they hear that. So it's a whole way, it's a whole way to use their game against them. 
But explaining this to the doctor and also being able to name it, regardless of what the doctor says, like it's really taking an action to take side with your body. Aaron said something that I'm sure you will agree with is that the come back to the doctor is so what would you say to a client or a patient in that case that would have a thin body? Because there is people with high blood pressure, for an example, in thin body, what then would be your recommendation? Can, can we explore that? Exactly. And so like the doctor has so much more to offer than just putting a diet on, giving somebody a diet or just ignoring them and telling them to change their body. Like this doctor has all of this knowledge. Why is it that all you can go to is this one thing. I'm sure that, yeah, I'm sure that you've learned to do more than that. Is there a question that popped in my mind? Is there a right for a doctor to refuse care based on weight, at least in the United States where you are? I'm not sure Canada, but US. Oh, I know that people have been refused particular like medical interventions, but I don't like have a list of which ones mm-hmm. in particular, but I know specific like surgeries and other procedures they can refuse. They can refuse, but then the person can have the autonomy to say, thank you very much, but I don't want to hire you as my doctor anymore. I'm going to go see someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's an angle. And every time I talk about this with my clients and my group program to say, like, you can actually fire your doctor. Like, you're not stuck with them for the rest of your life. Am I correct? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Right. They work for you. You pay them. Like, let's reposition this whole transaction differently, right? You pay, Mm -hmm. they do. So if they don't work out the way you want, you you can change. Yeah. The care should be patient-centered for you and your body. Yeah. Any other advice to help people who just now understand what the heck is wake stigma and how it impacts their life, what else can they do? Gosh, I would say stay curious. It could be really overwhelming if, you know, when you're getting all this information. And I know when I first learned about it, it took some time for it to settle in. So if you've heard this and you're thinking, I don't know, this is too much for me, all of that, that's okay. Like, I would say, don't forget all this information, (laughs) but like navigate it at your pace. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Is there a good book? We've talked about many times about health at every size book. I think everybody heard me talk to this one to that. Is there another great reading that you would recommend? Yeah, I really like the book called like Body Respect, obviously by Dr. Bacon. There's another one called Fat Activism by Charlotte Cooper. And so it really talks about fatness in a very like academic way. And those two are my go-tos. Like there are some other fun ones like Shrill, Dietland is also pretty fun, but fat activism and body respect are my two that I feel like everybody needs to read. (laughs) Good. I have not read fat activism, so I'm going to put that on my reading list and I will link to those three books in the show notes as well for women who want to take the next step in that journey. So if people really like this conversation and say like, I'd like maybe to know more about Kimmy, like where do they go to find out more about you? Yeah, so you can find me online at bodypositivedietitian.com or on Instagram at bodypositive underscore dietitian. I do work here in New York City, and I also see clients virtually if you're not living here in New York. But yeah, I hope that helps, and I I hope this was informative. It is, and I just want to mention your specialty because this is a field where there's a lot of weight discrimination, which is PCOS, right? 
Yes, very much so. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, there's so much discrimination. So PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is my specialty. It affects so many things, far more beyond just conception. So I actually co-hosted a podcast called the PCOS and Food Peace Podcast with Julie Duffy Dillon. And so it was a capsule series where we interviewed body positive people who have PCOS. And if you just kind of want to learn more about how this all of this like discussion affects PCOS as a whole, that would be a great resource. Yes, it will be because that is an area where here women being said the only solution is to lose weight. Where yeah. it's not. Not at all. And that's not yeah, that's not the road you want to go down. Yeah. yeah. So if you you or someone in your life have this diagnosis, and am I correct to say that PCOS is typically with younger women or that's a false assumption? It's actually a false assumption, but so many people are diagnosed when they're trying to conceive. Ah. And that's why people that are older, oftentimes they're not diagnosed. And then back in the day, even just, gosh, even just like 15, 20 years ago, the way it was diagnosed is a little bit different. And so there's a lot of misinformation out there. So there could very well be women in their 40s having PCOS that have perhaps a wrong diagnosis. Yeah, that haven't been diagnosed. And like there were some doctors who even put out an article saying we shouldn't diagnose PCOS unless you're trying to get pregnant because it would be too stressful. And I actually, I wrote a rebuttal. I can send it to you. Yes, please. Send it to me. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, because PCOS affects so much more than just conception. Like it affects mood, body image, cravings, just kind of like the way you connect with your world, your mental health. There's so much... Yeah. Oh, maybe we'll do a whole show on that later next year. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to know more about Kimmy, this is the type of stuff you can find out for her, work with her. And thank you very much for sharing your time with us today. It's been a pleasure to having you here. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. There you have it, ladies. What did you learn? I know for me, that was one of the latest segment of health at every size, intuitive eating, going beyond the food that I learn, and I'm still learning around weight stigma and weight discrimination, because it's a new field of study as we are now fully recognizing that this is a serious health issue and a side effect of dieting. So there is people who are actually researching this. So it is a new topic and it's a very heavy one because it arises in many of us emotion of shame. So if that's you right now, I want you to take a deep breath and recognize that yes, you've been a victim of weight stigma and you're going to arm yourself for responding to weight stigma. And the best way to educate yourself and to give yourself tool, and even if you're professional, if you're professional, that's as important because you could be the one causing weight stigma to your clients or patient, is to read the book Health at Every Size. I refer to this book almost at every episode. So if you've not read it yet, that's the Bible of intuitive eating, body image, and this whole world. So Health at Every Size by Dr. Linda Bacon. Now, I have a call to action for you. If you've not yet taken your Undiet 2020 pledge, 
go and do that. If you go to my website, stephaniedoze.com slash pledge, it is a tool for you that are starting your journey in intuitive eating and body image to stay focused has the period that diet culture is going to be heavily marketing to us about how we should go on a diet, right? And how our life's going to be better if we lose some weight, that we stay true to our commitment. So go and take the pledge, download it and post it where you can see it every day over the holiday in January period. And if you are a more advanced student, as I like to call you, that's the tool you can take to engage with someone around you that perhaps has been asking questions about intuitive eating and body image, and perhaps take the pledge with that sister, that woman in your life, where you can be her leader and her inspiration in January so she doesn't choose to diet this year. Not pushy, just if that person asks, that's the tool for you to use. So go in, take your pledge. We're going to close the weight loss series on the next episode, 209. It's going to be a solo for me, and I'm going to coach you on how to grieve your thin body ideal. So I'll see you in episode 209. I love you, sister, and I look forward to hang out with you in the next episode. 